Hi everybody, we're back on Zeal, and this is Sam and Dwight with me today, and we are in for a wonderful conversation. In the words of my guest Dwight, welcome to New Zealand. And my name is John, and uh, we all live in the West Toronto area and go to a church called Rexdale. And Sam and Dwight actually work with Rexdale to uh, to serve people in the neighborhood, in the immediate vicinity. And Rexdale is like a fairly standard church. Uh, lots of, you know, great people around. Sam and Dwight, though, in their roles have, um, it seems, been on kind of a, an exploration of different ways of making disciples. And to me, gone way off the beaten path of, you know, what we often think of as church. And I've been blown away by it. It's been really awesome and inspiring to, to track with you guys. So today we're just going to talk about Sam and Dwight's journey over the years, how they've gotten to know Jesus and seen how he changes lives. And then, uh, you know, why they're doing what they're doing right now. And spoiler alert, it boils down to really simple stuff, meeting people's needs practically, um, praying for people, things like that. But then also doing really simple Bible studies in people's homes and you know, responding to the stories from the Bible with obedience. And in, in a way, that's kind of it, walking with people spiritually that way and seeing the Word of God change people and seeing a small you know, home, a family, follow Jesus together and make disciples where they already are. So this is going to be pretty great. Dwight and Sam are both Filipino background. Sam, where did you grow up and what was your life like uh, growing up in the Philippines? I was born in a small little barrio, a village in the Philippines uh, called Batingan, Binangonan, Rizal. And now my dad had worked overseas many years and so during those growing up years, I didn't see him a lot, but we were surrounded by extended family. There was about 12 uh, in my dad's family and literally raised by my grandfather. I looked to him as a father figure. Growing up in a rice farm, uh, I had lots of responsibilities as a little kid. Uh, you know, getting up five o'clock in the morning, feeding pigs and chickens, uh, cleaning the pens. One particular thing that sticks out to me is that my grandmother uh, was a midwife. She was well known in the, that little village and she would say I was her assistant. And one of the things about being an assistant to a midwife is that you, you see at an early age where babies come from. And you know, there'd be lots of screaming. Uh, that would just be me. And, <laughs> and then I'd see these you know, uh, births coming in. But then also as a midwife, she would be invited to all the funerals uh, in that village. And these are open casket funerals. So uh, we come and you know, in the Philippines, you'd have to actually look in the casket and you'd actually have to kiss the body. So at a very early age, I saw where uh, babies came from and I saw um, you know, people die and be buried six feet under the ground. And that caused a lot of uh, questions of what's the purpose in life? Why are we here on earth? And that was uh, pivotal in my growing up years. You know, for the most part, I saw uh, very little purpose there. And in fact, people were living in misery and poverty, and it caused me a lot of um, heartache and, and questioning. Also, uh, when I was playing with one of my uh, friends, uh, you know, in front of their home, and you know, in the Philippines, there's like a tricycle, it's a, with a, it's a motorcycle with a sidecar. And, you know, the mom had gone to the market and when she came home my friend rushed out to meet her 
and the tricycle driver couldn't stop in time and ran him over. So at an early age, I saw my really good friend die in front of my eyes. And again, that was uh, one of those moments where, you know, life is but a mist. And we could go at any time. And again, the, some of the questioning of what's the purpose of life? And as well, we lived close to a major highway and saw these two buses collide head on and caught on fire. I saw people burning alive. And I actually had nightmares over and over again. Didn't even know and relate to that. But uh, that shook me and made me ask the question again, what's the purpose of life? Well, that uh, seems like above average amount of traumatic experiences for someone growing up. That's insane. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so then uh, when you were 10, you moved to Canada. How did you continue to explore those questions as you can move to Canada and kept growing up here? My family came here in 1977. My dad was already working here uh, for several years. And then after becoming a landed immigrant, he sponsored the rest of the family. We were here and we landed in a small little uh, town in British Columbia, coal mining town called Sparwood. With someone being new to a country and also being a minority, one of the things that when you're different, what you, what you try to do then is you try to fit in. You try to blend in so that you're not so different. And so I worked really hard to please everyone, please my teachers, try to get good grades, my parents. Also, I partied hard because that's what you do in small town. You live for the weekend. And I remember at the age of 16, after a really raucous party, and you know, I was with what I thought, uh, who I thought were my best friends. And yet, I remember being at that party going, feeling so lonely and laying in my bed, the whole room spinning and asking the, the question, you know, what is my life all about? So I live, you know, 60, 80 years of my life. I, so I go to school, I hang out with my friends, and then I get a job, I get married, all those things, I retire and then I die. For what? So that got me into searching and I remember asking God, God, if you're real, you need to show yourself to me. And God began to honor that prayer in many different ways, but it wasn't until university that I met someone who explained to me what it meant to actually know God. It seems like at university, some people really led you in what it means to follow Jesus. So I encountered Christ. Uh, it was, you know, registering for my classes. And there was a student who asked the question, who do you think Jesus is? And I said, you know, kind of flippantly, son of God, would you want to know more about him? Well, sure. And I remember this international student from Thailand um, meeting with me. He said this thing, you know, do you know that you can actually have a personal relationship with God? And for me, that was just mind-blowing. And it actually helped me answer this question that was just been longing in my heart. What is my purpose for life? Because he said, your purpose in life is to know God and to serve Him. And it was as if a switch was flicked on in my heart, in my soul, and in my brain to say, this is it. This is what I've been looking for all these years. And that day, I surrendered my life to Christ. Now, I was just so privileged, uh, John, to now then be part of this Christian community of students, uh, radical, really, I thought, because I remember he said to me, so now that you're a Christian, you're like a baby. And you know, babies, you need to have milk, you need somebody to take care of you and to grow. So I want you to be in a Bible study with us. 
I said, great. And you know what our first topic of, of uh, discussion was? Matthew 28. It was about the Great Commission. It wasn't about reading your Bible. It's like, now that you're a Christian, you're a part of this global movement of changing the world. And that just resonated in my heart. And so, I mean, this Bible study was a group of new Christians as well. They had also come to know Christ just recently from the witness of this one Thai, uh, student from Thailand. And um, Bible study ended. It says, okay, so now we're going to pair up two by two, and we're not going to talk to people about Jesus. Now, I had been a Christian for a week. And he said, okay, so Sam, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to pair up with you, and we're going to start talking, striking up conversations with people about spiritual things. But I'll do you a favor. I'll go first. And so he went first. He did a great job. And, you know, the person was mildly interested. He turns to me, uh, Stephen, and he says, Sam, it's your turn. Now, I'm thinking this whole gospel thing is so new to me, and yet that was so pivotal to me because I said, oh, this, was, this must be what Christians do. Well, it made sense to me, like, okay, you're crazy about this person of Jesus. He's the Son of God. He rescued you from your sin. Of course you're going to want to tell other people about him, right? So I said, okay, and found somebody, struck up a conversation. Again, the person, a little bit interested. We had some good discussions. But I remember thinking, man, I don't know what I'm doing. And um, so Stephen said to me, so how did it go? How do you feel like it went? It's like, oh, man, I, I think I just... I got a lot to learn. <laughs> and so he said, well, you know, that's good because we actually have a class next week to teach us how to share our faith. He said, well, sign me up. <laughs> and so that was the beginning for me of what it meant to follow Christ was, uh, it was, you know, how Jesus said, follow me and I will make your fishers of men. So it meant if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to be a fisherman. You can't do one without the other. Dwight, how about you, brother? Where'd you come from? How was life growing up for you? came from a family of five, born in the Philippines, came here, we immigrated when we were, when I was four years old. So my father was a pastor, my mother, the term in the Philippines, they call them Bible women. Um, Sam's familiar with that term. Landed in December 1981, and there was this white substance on the ground that we found in uh, ice cream fridges. And uh, yeah, it's just we just came to a, a new world. It was crazy. I just felt like so alien mm. uh, to this new environment. And what city did you come to in Canada? Toronto. Okay. The dot. It wasn't called the dot then. Right. So it was called Toronto. Okay. That's how we pronounce it. I grew up knowing who Jesus was. But as a child, I was kind of disconnected from it. It wasn't yeah. a personal decision. It was just kind of like, okay, yeah, this is, uh, this is the vehicle we have. So I just go in the car and see where it takes me. And sometimes uh, later on in life, I got off that car. <laughs> but uh, we never had a lot, but we had everything we needed. We had community, we had friends, and you know, people just really taking care of us. So I understood what, what community really meant. Years progressed. Looking back, I saw the signs in grade six. I saw one time my dad we had a K car, Reliant, broke down, tow truck driver picked us up. We were coming from a church event, and he said he was going to charge us a certain amount of money, drop us off in our home. The tow truck driver changed the price last second. And then my dad says, oh, well, we didn't agree on that. Just seeing his body language and his tone, very humble. And um, the guy threatened my father, and my father stayed calm. There was no fear in his eyes. 
But I've seen him just back up. It's okay, sorry, we'll do what we can. I think we called some people up and then you know, found a way to compensate. And something must have clicked in my head because it's, I, I looked at that and I'm like, yo, why didn't you fight, you know? So growing up with one set of friends from another set of the neighborhood and, and seeing my father now, that's what strength is. And I think seeing that, I was like, there was something in me that was just kind of like, I didn't appreciate it for what it was. And that's when I got to see what love was, but I think it got twisted in my eye because I had this natural ability to just, I knew how to find the bad kids. I either found them or they found me. It was just like this, this natural pull. Um, it's cool because God redeemed that later on in life. But I found all this other, what the problem was, I didn't see what happened inside the homes. There was a lot of bad stuff that happened in the homes of my friends. But what I saw was this facade of like tough, strong, and I was a very sensitive kid growing up, you know, and I still am sensitive kid. And uh, but I saw this maybe because of an insecurity that I saw in myself, which I perceived as a weakness. Looking back, it's just kind of like, oh, they weren't actually tough. They were they were hiding their pain. So this shell came out. I think I got deceived there. Mm -hmm. So that's when things started turning. 14 years old came along. I suffered a brain injury from a fight that I gotten into. Um, yeah, got beat up. And that just crushed my self-esteem. It crushed everything that I, my identity, my world. I was even ashamed to tell my parents. I didn't tell my parents. So, and from there, it just spiraled me into just saying, I'm not good. So I treated myself as that. And it pushed me to a group of people who were doing things that were, uh, couldn't get you into serious trouble. So illegal. Illegal yeah. activities, you know, but yep. I always believed in who Christ was. I always knew who he was, not just know who he was, experienced his love mostly through my parents seeing how um how consistent they were and what they poured their life and just seeing the holy spirit and how they loved each other and how they loved us that's where i saw god most and i found out later on they would pray for me every single night and uh a series of events happened you know losing people that i cared about here and overseas and that just spiraled me into a really really deep depression you know where did that start to turn and what kind of what happened next god just broke me but the way he did it was it was it was such a loving break because the world was breaking me too and it wanted to take me away. I remember just really just saying, God, um, there is no future for me. I can't hold on to another day. You have to, and it wasn't this big clouds parting and this huge thing. It was just this deep peace, presence of God through the Holy Spirit. And it was love, it was love. It was love in my family. I was still depressed. <laughs> my life didn't change. But I had hope. There was hope. And it, it, it took me into a different direction. How I see it, Dwight, you're like a really fired up guy right now. About really some specific things to share about Jesus with people and to make disciples. Where did that come from? Where did passion for those things come from? Discipleship, that's God's plan. That's, that's the Great Commission. And the cool thing is God's already doing it. God was doing it before we ever popped on the scene. He's working in people's lives. So just reaching out to people and doing discipleship is God has already been doing it and God is drawing yeah. and leading us to those that he's already working and we just get to play our part in, in, in that role. How does simple Bible studies in people's home accomplish that? Simple Bible studies is that the, the Word of God is alive. It's, uh, my mom always used to say this growing up. It's not information, it's transformation. I think we have this idea that we it's just another 
a manual, it's just another doc. No, they're alive. They're alive to those who are with a repentant heart, who are willing to submit that they need a savior. Once people are there that God has brought them, watch them come back to life. That's what I've seen, that's what I've witnessed. If we're faithful, the word of God will do what it will do, never coming back void. And if we're obedient in that, it's gonna, it's gonna wreak havoc on darkness and the pain and the trauma and the abuse and the guilt and the shame. That's, that's the, the power the Word of God has. So I think that what a Bible study does is, and I've said this many cases, let the lion loose. It's going to make waste of its enemies. What we do, we cage the Word of God because we're thinking, okay, uh, how, where are we going to let the lion loose? How are we going to let the lion loose? Who's feeding the lion um, in this environment? And we're so busy analyzing. It's like, let the lion out the cage. And when we do that in the home, or we do that in the hallways, in Candleton, sometimes just reading scripture in the hallway or in the, in the foyer, you're letting the word of God loose. It's going to do what it's going to do. Apart from us, it's the living words uh, to bring transformation. Yeah, it's really simple. I mean, in some ways, it seems like calling that church, you're taking stuff out of it. And like, what are, what are the essential elements there that are enough? to heal people's pain and give people purpose. Our main job as a church in the community is to get people to engage in the Bible, but in relationship. And so it's not me saying or Dwight saying, hey, you guys should believe this. It is for us to say, hey, this is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus says about your purpose for living in a way that they begin to understand. So it's down and dirty in their real life. It's in their living rooms. It's with their neighbors. That's what the early church did. It was these house churches all over the place, and they engaged in community and engaged in the Word of God. Hmm. We call it face-to-face church. And, you know, they're doing uh, church on the cheap. It's down and dirty. It's life-on-life. Uh, life. And to be honest, you know, the, the weekend service kind of, it's clean. It's pretty sterile, you know, you don't have to show your junk of this is my life and my sin. But when you're doing life with people, they see you, they see you get mad because you're together longer. You are, they get see you, um, they see you get frustrated with each other. They see you um, come up short or, uh, and, uh, you know, be nasty to your wife there. But that's when healing comes. You 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 ex- ex- exhort one another to say, hey, brother, you know, Scripture says this. And she's like, you're right. No, I'm sorry. I'm just going to ask you guys to forgive me. And I'm going to ask my wife to forgive me. It's not in a vacuum. It's not just in the home uh, doing it in secret. But you're. this is me. This is who I am. And there's something about that I think is just so real. And I think people in that context actually grow more in their faith. Got it. Guys, thanks for sharing all this. Um, I'll, I'll just say, I love you guys. You're great. I'm love just so excited you, to keep making disciples around here. Um, or trying to, anyways. I can speak for myself. but <laughs> uh, Yeah, so thank you for joining us for this conversation. And a couple of things. As usual, you can follow us, Zeal Podcast, on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast and YouTube videos on the YouTube channel, in iTunes, Google Play, those kinds of places. So go ahead and do that. Um, but also, as usual, by far the coolest thing you could do would be to you know, listen to Sam and Dwight's stories and think to yourself, 
how could I try something different in my life in response to these stories? And uh, yeah, or maybe you could even make like I have Sam and Dwight your heroes and just try to model your life in some way after their lives. So that's what I would recommend personally. But in any case, all the best and see you next time. Thank you, John.